Thanks, Andrew. So, morning, everyone. Welcome to New Life. Um, I think Andrew mentioned this. We are a community that gathers for the glory of God and the gospel of grace. Uh, my name is Young, pastor here at New Life, and we're looking pretty full here today, huh? Um, we want to welcome back Perth team. Perth team has been away on missions for quite a while. Uh, we welcomed back Sejuna team last week. I do urge you, uh, if you do know anyone, even if you don't know anyone from the teams, uh, to go and speak with them, find out a little bit about their time on missions, uh, how they joined in with what God was already doing in those places. Um, after the sermon today, we'll actually hear from a member of Sejuna team as well, so do look forward to that uh, too. How about I pray for us, and then we'll get into the word. Uh, Father, we long to please you. Uh, we long to live in ways that really work at your heart, that really speak of your glory, uh, that really preach of your goodness uh, to a watching world. And more than anything, Lord, we want to be changed by you so that we can live this life. We pray, Lord, that we would not take for granted uh, the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would just seek with thanksgiving, uh, the grace that he has given us, that we can have this new life together, that we can walk in community with one another, and that we can seek you in fellowship. We thank you, Lord, that you've invited us to the table, uh, that we can share in the cup of fellowship with you, indeed, in the cup of your son's blood. It's only through his blood sacrifice that we're invited to this table, and we want to keep that in mind always never seeking uh, to go to the left or to the right, but to always stay on that straight and narrow path, seeking you always, seeking to love you always. So would you deepen our love for you? Would you speak with great wisdom that, you would be, that we would be able to understand you, that we would be guided by you, that we would be changed and transformed by you? We pray that you would speak to us, Lord, uh, that you would open up our ears, that we might hear you, and we pray, Lord, that you will work in our hearts that we might love you more. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you living your life in a way that's pleasing to God or pleasing to yourself? You know, this is one of the big questions of Christianity, right? Are you living your life in a way that's pleasing to God or pleasing to yourself? You know, the gospel of grace that we talk about each week at New Life is a means for us to glorify God, not to flaunt our freedom, not to live in a way that's pleasing to ourselves, not to feel like we have this divine permission from God to live however we want. But sometimes we take it the wrong way and we think that this is what it's all about. Now in recent weeks, if you haven't been with us, if you were just returning from holidays or wherever you've been, uh, we've examined the way in which the Corinthian Christians have abused their freedom. They've received this freedom from God and they've abused it, engaging in idolatry, which has led others astray. This speaks volumes about what they think about their faith, what they make of their faith. They believe and they will take advantage of what they perceive as grace in order to live life however they see fit. No regard given to others, just thinking about themselves. We, as Christians today, modern Christians, we tend to jump the gun a little bit and try to figure out, how does this fit into my way of living? How does this speak to me now? But right now might be a good question, or it might be a good time to ask that question. New life, is this our way? Do we do this as well? 
And is this the way of Christ? You know, there's a lot of examples that I was trying to think through about famously talented people who had incredible potential. You see them on screen, uh, some of them there, that I'm familiar with, maybe you're familiar with as well. You might be thinking of different musicians or actors or whoever it might be that you find to be ultra-talented, and yet they have some sort of unfulfilled potential, and you wonder what could have been. Due to a lack of discipline or a bunch of other issues, they might have given in to indulging in things that come with fame and with great fortune, with great money, eventually self-destructing. Now, what are these people remembered for? You know, quite often, they're not remembered for their talent or their careers, no matter how glittering their careers were, because that is the nature of how we see these people. The scandal, the questions of what if, of the unfulfilled potential that has gone before them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27, read this. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. If you watch any uh, level of sports at an elite level, there's an incredible amount of focus that's required to be an athlete competing at this level. You know, if you ever watch professional sports like NBA or EPL or whatever it might be, they need to be disciplined about what they eat. They need a level of dedication needed to train constantly. They need the ability to say no to things that might take them away from sleep. Now, all sorts of things in their lives, it leads to one particular moment in their careers, you know, 90 minutes or 120 minutes, whatever it might be. We also, as Christians, should be this disciplined. We should run this hard, exercising self-control, as verse 25 tells us, as we run towards the prize, this imperishable crown. Paul uses himself as an example here. He states that it's only through disciplining his own body and bringing it under strict control so that it serves his purposes, not the other way around, that he can continue on and receive the ultimate prize. This is after he's talked about what the Corinthians should do. Remember the past few weeks that he gives his own example. You know, one of the most frustrating things that we find in our lives is when someone doesn't practice what they preach. Everyone gets a bad rap about this. Everyone in life gets a bad rap about this. But you can imagine that this is particularly true of Christians because of how we claim true freedom from the desires of the flesh and then sometimes the people that we preach to, they see us engaging so freely in the same things that they do, indulging so readily in the addictions that are so unbecoming of us as children of God. We can acknowledge this, but we don't often like to admit that this is about us being unable to overcome our desires. It's our lack of ability. We're slaves to our hearts. The reality is that we're not following our hearts, we're not fulfilling our own desires, we're being led by them on a leash, strung along into enslavement under idols. 
Now, I have a sneaking suspicion that some of us, we operate under this mistaken belief when it comes to the Christian life, that the Christian life is no different from our previous lives. It just comes with this added label, Christian. It is a mistake. How can we treat the most life-changing thing like the gospel with the same level of excitement as getting a new t-shirt or the same level of life change as renewing our green slip each year? Now, before we go any further into this passage, before we go any further into the sermon, I want to make this point very clear, okay? What Paul is talking about here is Christian morality, morals, the way we live our life, Christian ethics. He's not engaging in discussion about the eternal security of Christians, okay? In fact, the warnings that come in this passage and others like it, it's conducive to eternal security. There's some of the ways in which God keeps us going. He doesn't just save us and then say, well, you're on your own now. I'm sure you'll be okay. No, he continues to warn us. He has his saints persevere until the very end, and this is grace. Now, with that in mind, we're going to be served well by some of these warnings from Israel's past, which is our own past as well, okay? This is our family history, okay? So let's have a look at verses 1 to 4 from chapter 10. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Have you ever heard sayings like this before? You know, things like, if you don't know where where you come from, you don't know where you're going. Those that don't know history are doomed to repeat it. You know, you might have heard these sayings before. It's crucial for us to know all of this stuff from our family history. As members that are accepted into the covenant community of God, We're adopted into his family. We join that family tree. We're grafted in. And so we hear from Paul that the entire community of Israel, our ancestors, received these blessings from God. They were all under the cloud of God's presence. They all passed through the sea. Remember the Exodus, they all passed through the sea. Israel of the Exodus generation started off quite well, if you remember. And these redemptive blessings that they receive, they're analogous to the blessings that we receive as Christians as well. We're saved from death by the rock, which is Jesus Christ. But we read that this generation didn't reach the goal, much like the athlete who doesn't stay disciplined and veers off track. Read with me, verses five to 10. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. And don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Excuse me. It was really loud a moment ago when I slept, right? So, all right. Israel's experience serves as a warning for us. 
even though they all received blessings from God, they desired evil. It tells us in these verses, they desired evil. They were idolaters. They committed sexual immorality, tested the Lord, grumbled against him. What do all of these sins point to? These were the ones who lacked self-control, who weren't willing to discipline their bodies and bring it under their control. And so they were struck down in the wilderness, we hear. Now, why is Paul sharing all of this? Why does he write about all of this? As mentioned before, this isn't about questioning the eternal security of Christians. It's certainly not to have a guilt party so that the Corinthians, they you know, go into a shame spiral or whatever. Like, no. We read verses 11 to 13 and it tells us, these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. This is shared as a gracious warning so that the Corinthians, like Paul, commit their everything towards arriving at this goal. Like an athlete that puts everything else aside and says, this goal is worth more than all of these other things. The eternal reward is worth more than this perishable reward of whatever crown, whatever award, whatever medal that an athlete fights for. And so the same is for us as well. May we, like the Corinthians and Paul, do everything so that we can ensure that we're self-controlled, disciplined, so that we might arrive at the goal ourselves. Now, far too often, we hear things like this, and we go one of two ways. Either we go into this really deep, dark place, we don't allow room for God's grace to light the way and remind us to look to Jesus, and we just beat ourselves up constantly. We think, why can't I get better? Why do I keep struggling with this? And we just spiral. We don't see any way out. Or the alternative, we ignore these warnings because we don't like anything impinging on what we think is our freedom, our good times, our fun feels, whatever it might be, as though these are the gods that we serve. Please, let's see the lesson that's found here in our shared history, because this is God's gift of grace to us, once again, so that we can remain on the straight and narrow path. And now, as you read about Israel's history here, as you hear all of this, let's answer this question honestly. Is this where you're finding yourself too? Are you finding yourself in this place too? Do you find yourself desiring evil? Do you engage in idolatry? sexual immorality, testing the Lord, grumbling against him. Here's what we do. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Flee. Flee from idolatry. Don't fight. Don't see how close you can get without falling into it. This doesn't make you strong, okay? It's not you know, resistance training or whatever. It's just flee. Run. Verses 15 to 18, I am speaking as a sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I am saying. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a sharing in the blood of Christ. 
The bread that we break is not a sharing in the body of Christ. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Paul is speaking as to sensible people in the church in Corinth, and for us too. If we are wise, we'll judge for ourselves what's being said here, that in Christ we have true communion with God through his sacrifice. What could be worth more? Now, years ago, Before I was a Christian, I don't think that really matters to this story, but years ago, I was at an inspection for a share house, okay? So I was looking around for a place to live. I arrived at this one apartment place in, uh, I won't say the suburb, but basically I walked in and already, it felt like it wasn't gonna work out, okay? So I'm walking in, it's dark and dingy, it's smelly, it's a little musty, it it smells like a, a bit of laundry had dried improperly, and it had just gone all throughout the house. You guys know what this smells right, right? You know, you might have towels, you might have, okay. But the worst of it was, like, you know, you, you try to be courteous and you just try to look around the place so that you're not just coming in, smelling and being, oh, and then just walking out, right? And so you're looking around. When I said thank you and tried to leave, the couple that put this ad out, they stopped me. And they kind of corner me so that I can't leave. One of them kind of moves behind me. I'm like, oh, I'm going to die here. <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening. And they begin talking to me about their big secrets. Uh-huh. I'm here today, though, so right? All right. But they open up a little cupboard in front of them. And this is their big secret. Inside were a bunch of printed out photos and cutouts from magazines of all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I don't know how to feel. There's cars. There's watches, expensive things, all this stuff that's just printed out and pasted, taped into this cupboard. They tell me very seriously, they're like looking into my soul. They're like, we stand here sometimes and we look at these things, think about them constantly. We sacrifice our time because when we look at this and when we speak into, I don't know what they said. They, they were saying all this stuff. And I was just like, how do I get out of here? Okay, but they said that by some strange power, they're gonna receive these things because they keep standing there looking at these things, thinking about it constantly. It's gonna come into existence in their lives. Apparently it's from a book, okay? But what is it that we sacrifice in order to appease whatever it is that we're really living our lives for? Like, we can laugh a little bit at these people from my past. What about us? We sacrifice our time so much of the time. We sacrifice our money. We sacrifice our sober minds, our virginity, our blood, our lives. For what? For the sake of whatever idol it is that we're chasing, that we're continuing to worship. How different are we to this couple staring into their smelly cupboard. But in Christ, things are the other way around. It's God who longs to look at us. It's God who makes the sacrifice. Jesus' own body and blood are given up for us 
so that we might be brought in to participate in this new life together that can only be given by that sacrifice. Anything else in this life is a mere want, a wish, a longing for the divine to meet with us for just an instant. But Jesus, he's already established this communion with us, true communion with God through the cross. We get fooled, and indeed we allow ourselves to get fooled into doing all sorts of things, thinking we'll finally get what we're looking for if we follow along with whatever it might be that we're stuck in, even when we know that idols are no true spiritual representation of an actual God. We might look at our jobs, we might look at our families, we might look at the relationships that we're in, and we might think these are no gods at all, and yet we sacrifice ourselves to them like they are. Verses 19 to 22, what am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Paul points out by quoting, this is actually a quote from Deuteronomy 32, 17, okay, from the Old Testament here, that idols are often created by people that are following after demons posing as gods. These demons convince them we have this power. We're gods. And so these people worship these idols and worship actually demons rather than gods. But you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, it tells us. You can't share in the Lord's table of his fellowship and continue to fellowship with demons. What reason do we have for communion with these demons, this sacrifice of ourselves? It's our own selfish motives. It's purely our own selfish motives that cause us to do these things. Verses 23 to 24, everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. You'll notice the quotes there. Paul is quoting the Corinthians here. The Corinthians love to say this. Everything is permissible. Do you know Christians like this? We can do whatever we want. We're saved. He quotes them here twice, and he responds to them both times pointing out that their self-centered belief of everything being permissible, you have to hold it in balance with the fact not everything is beneficial. It's not gonna build up people around you. You're gonna harm other people with your freedom. This is the problem of the huge focus that we as modern people and the Corinthians as well at this time, we're not so unique. When we place so much focus on individual freedom, what we do in our lives, we should really be basing it on what's gonna be benefiting the people around us. Do you ever think this about society? About like society out there, not Christian society, right? Society, if only we thought about other people. Like we might think of, about this as, you know, about billionaires. Like if only they shared a little bit and suddenly all the world's hunger problems would be solved. What about the church? What about us? 
By this, we can actually see our brothers and sisters grow in faith and commitment to Jesus Christ, and what do we experience? We experience that community. That'll result in our community becoming more unified in gathering and glorifying God. New Life, we say this every week. We gather together for what? The glory of God in the gospel of grace. We don't stay alone in order to live for our own glory in the gospel of independence or freedom. None of this is to say that we should, you know, withdraw into the mountains somewhere and live with no connection to the world. This isn't the message here. Paul recognizes that God's creation is good. He knows this. The food that we receive here on earth is provided by God. 25 to 27, eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. He's pointing out here, we can be careful. We can exercise wisdom. Let's not be stupid about things. We can avoid the things that point towards idolatry. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean for your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized? Because of something for which I give thanks. Even the opportunity to do this is grace. Because it might actually provide you with the opportunity to explain why you're stepping back from what everyone else is doing. Do you think about this? When you're not fellowshipping with whatever they're doing, when you step back, they might ask you, why are you doing this? They might make fun of you and say, oh, it's because you're a Christian. Yes, that's why I'm doing it. We can testify about our Christianity. You're always looking for ways to do this, aren't you? You always talk about, I wish I could just talk about my Christianity with someone. Here's your opportunity. Okay, here it is. The goal of what the Apostle Paul is heading towards in this entire section is here, okay? The next couple of verses. Verses 31 to 11, verse one. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Do everything to God's glory. This is the goal. This is our goal. In context, Paul has been talking about the issues like eating and drinking, and these are specific issues to the Corinthians since they become so wrapped up in their own individual freedoms and rights, they're not giving any thought into how they're leading others into judgment. And this leads to them dishonoring their faith. Do everything to God's glory. This is the goal by the way that we as Christians live our lives. And by glorifying God in all we do, we edify one another in our faith. Do everything to God's glory. Because sexual immorality, which we covered in chapters five to six, so you can go back and look at that, and idolatry, which is from chapters eight to 10, they oppose 
us glorifying God. So Paul, he exhorts us to seek Christian sexual purity in chapter 7. He's going to soon exhort us to worship God in an honorable way, which is chapters 11 to 14, which will come up very soon. When we do this, we're going to reflect true wisdom by the way that we live our lives. He's introduced this in chapters 1 to 4, and we're going to wait in this way for the resurrected Jesus to return to us, and that's the final chapter. And as we do this, as we follow the example set by Christ, which Paul himself is following and telling us to imitate, we can seek the good of others and not our own. We can imitate Christ's life, death, and resurrection in the way that we live and truly glorify God by the way that we live out the gospel in our lives. Let me pray for us. I said before uh, during the sermon that when we're faced with messages like this, quite often the response is one of two ways. We might go into a cycle of shame and we might beat ourselves up and not actually look to God for help, or we might reject the message completely and just go about our own way. If this is you, let's pray. God is good. He's a good father. He loves us. He sacrifices on our behalf. And he loves to have communion with us. So let's pray during this time. Why don't you pray that God will change your heart? That's all you have to pray. God, change my heart. God, help me to look for you. Why don't you spend some time praying for that?
Some of you have friends that might be here today that might not, but they might immediately come to mind right now when you think about this. Those that you're so sure will just feel guilty, will just turn away from God, or you're so sure that they'll just reject your message and end your friendship if you bring these things up. Spend some time now praying for their hearts. You'll notice that all throughout the Bible, God speaks to us as a community. And Paul is speaking to a gathered community there in Corinth. It's all about seeking the benefit of others. So why don't you spend some time praying for your friend, your loved one, your family, whoever it might be. Let's pray. so often it's impossible to admit what it is that we're struggling with, what it is that we're going through. And the hardest people that we find it to admit it to is ourselves, our community, and sometimes even you. We struggle with these things because they've entangled themselves in our hearts, and we've sacrificed so much we're deep down in that hole and we feel like it's such a waste if we just give in now. Lord, only you can affect the change in our hearts. And so we look to you. Father, change our hearts. Make them new. Take our hearts of stone and give us, give us hearts of flesh that we might love you. We want to love you the way that you love us. We want to love you the way that you deserve to be loved. We want to love you the way that we truly want to love you. So would you help us? Would you turn us around? Help us to confess and repent with no more embarrassment about the things that we struggle with. Help us to seek help from you. You're the only one who can change us. Point us in the right direction again and help us, Lord, to love you above everything else. And Father, we pray for our friends 
our family, our loved ones, all those around us who we know struggle. Those that have turned away from the faith. Those that are in the process of walking away. Those that lack discipline. Those that we see so much of ourselves in. We pray, Lord, that you would change their hearts too. We pray, Lord, that you would change their hearts the same way that you change ours. That you would bring them back. We know, Lord, that in tenderness, in your great mercy and grace, that you go out from the 99 to seek out the one lost sheep. And so we ask, Lord, that you would go out, that you would bring them back into your fold upon your shoulders. Father, be with us. Help us to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.